Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. All right, welcome back in the third and final hour of the program here on Wednesday. It's time for Midweek with the Mayor. New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell here with us. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Tim. How are you? All right. How's your How's your week going so far? It's been a pretty good week. It's been a it's busy been one. Yeah, more or less. It's been pretty productive, um, I think, overall. You know, it's funny. I just, uh, people ask me, you know, I go home. My wife, Ann, asked me, so how was your day? And I'm like, oh, I think it was pretty good. What would you do? Well, I have to think about it. It's almost like every day's a blur, and I got to go back and look at my calendar and say, "Oh yeah, I did one, two, three, four. You, you know, know, you know what else that happens to school kids? You ever yeah. ask a kid when they come home, "What'd you do in school today?" Uh, we had lunch. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. you got to do that every day. What else did you do? Ah, eh, just you know stuff. Yeah. Or like my daughter Lauren says when I ask that question, nothing. <laughs> okay. I get it. When I walk out of the doors here of the studio, I forget everything that I just discussed for the past three hours. It's just, you know, selective amnesia. It happens to me all the time. I, how many years did I spend as a sports writer? A long and time, people, yeah. people talk about these great moments that happened in all these Patriots and Celtics games. I don't remember any of them. Yeah. Like, I have to go back and watch the tapes to see what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, these these, these milestone moments just gone well, from I, I remember the stuff, but it's like the, when when cued, like, what about this meeting? Well, I can tell you what happened there, right, or this event or what, whatever. But it's like, like, what did you do today, the open-ended question like that? I have to think, what did I just do? Yeah. So, and, and, and that's 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 the burden of too much to do, not I, not I, doing not enough. Yeah, so. yeah, I guess so. That's what I keep telling myself, at least. So we ended last week's program with a, a caller who had called in with a question. She was asking about the consolidation of the senior centers, but she was portraying it as, you know, as, as you had mentioned and as uh, we've heard about from, from some of the city councilors, that there was some attrition at some of these senior centers post-pandemic that they just didn't seem like people were going to them as much, so it made sense to kind of consolidate them all. She had brought up the idea that there might have been somebody who was working at one of these that was keeping people from going there. And had you heard anything about that, any concerns about any particular employee causing issues? Uh, not before that call, no. And so I passed we passed along the complaint, um, you know, as, as, as I do, right? So people call here with stuff and we say we'll look into it we we do um you know the feedback we got was we weren't sure what the caller was talking about but that i can maybe that and it's not to say not to dismiss it but you know maybe the caller had some or maybe others had some bad interactions with a single employee but that doesn't explain the 
the the trends and the participation trends in the the um, senior centers, right? They've just gone down. I think I sent I brought along just a quick graph, I think, which I think we sent to you. And I, mm-hmm. I'll just you got to print it off so I can hand this to you. But the average daily attendance by month um, has gone down considerably. Right, and so every single month is down by. In one case, it's forty nine percent, but everywhere, every other month, it's way, way down. The Christmas party, right, is down since two thousand sixteen, down sixty five percent. Yeah, I right? couldn't believe that when I saw that. Yeah. So, uh, and then by you know the daily attendance has just just plummeted. Um, it's overall. Overall, we're down 70% since 2016. It's just people aren't going to the senior centers like they once did. It's not to say nobody's going. It's not, of course, the case. Some people go. They're not the senior centers of even a few years ago, much less 20 or 30 years ago. Back in the 90s, senior centers were a much bigger thing. They're just, they're just not now. But it's not to say we're closing them all up. We're just making sure that they are arranged in a way that uh, fits the city's resources and provides people the stuff that they can't otherwise get if they go to, I don't know, others in the private sector who are offering senior programming like the Y or, or you know, other organizations. So, so it's a long ways, and I'll leave this with you, Tim, because this is the, this is the PowerPoint that I was, or at least the salient parts of it that I was given. This was a, a recommendation that um, came up to me concerning the, Senior Center from the Council on Aging. They reviewed it and they agreed with it. And they came to me and asked if, whether, whether I had any objections. And, and I, I, I don't. And the only thing that that concerned me at the time was I think that the you know the announcement was flubbed a little bit. The word got out about it before there could be an, a, a public explanation. I think that had there been a, a clear public explanation before the word leaked out about it, um, then I, you'd probably hear. Uh, fewer complaints uh, overall. And I just want to, it's important to note too, like looking at those numbers and as you talked about the the daily average attendance, this isn't about looking like pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. These numbers that are down, you're looking at that from October of last year to January of this year. So this isn't, you know, this isn't the time when people were like, well, I don't feel, I don't know if it's safe necessarily for me to come out yet. As you know, seniors were, you know, reluctant to come back out into society because they might have health issues and be more susceptible. This is at a time when we were already kind of in the post-pandemic era. So this is just a snapshot of well, it was the dropping, now. And it was dropping before the pandemic arrived. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, some of this may be... Uh, you know, like a lot of like a lot of stuff in the pandemic, in the pandemic we all were inside a lot more. We all were doing a lot more stuff online, and so you know the pandemic was long enough such that I think people's habits, some habits changed, right? So some people are still going to work by Zoom. Some people are doing more, uh, spending more time interacting with others online than they were before the pandemic, and. You know, that includes seniors too. If they're occupying, more seniors are occupying their time at home. More seniors these days own computers than ever before. More seniors are online than, uh, now than ever before. More are on social media than ever uh, before. So there is, you know, there are these shifts that, uh, in daily habits and, 
cultural shifts that are, were accelerated by the pandemic, and that might be an explanation. I'm not here to say, like, you know, we've done this scientific study to determine exactly why it's happening. All I can report is that participation at the senior centers has dropped a lot, and it's really hard to justify having multiple senior centers around the city. And that's that's, that's the recommendation coming from the Council on Aging, and I, I agree with it. And if if suddenly there was a, an explosion of seniors that want to take part in these things, then you would look at the situation sure, again. Sure, we'd look at ramping up. You know, people are lining up at the door to get into these things, and we'd say, well, well it looks like we've got, to, we've got to realign resources again to accommodate that. But that's, that, of course, is not happening. Uh, one other question. We got a caller who called in with a couple of questions, and I had mentioned this to you off the air. He had asked about the police station near the Shawmut Diner and what was going to be happening there. And you and I both said we're not sure what he means there, but I was wondering maybe maybe he meant the headquarters because that's near the Orchid Diner. I know you had mentioned that the, eventually the plan is to have a new police headquarters. I assume he means that because there isn't a police station over by the Shama Diner. Uh, the Shama Diner, well, the Shama Diner is not there anymore, as we all as we all know, um, and that's you know at the corner of Hathaway uh, Road and Shama Ave. Uh, so there's no police station over there. The police headquarters, as, as most folks know, is on Rockdale Avenue in what was once originally the uh, a uh, Fernandes supermarket. It's not um, – the police were moved in there about 20 years ago, The little, actually a little bit longer than that, about 25 years ago now. The former – the longtime police headquarters was downtown where the Santander Bank is or now the DeMello International Center. Uh, the big brick building right on Union Street. And so when that building was built, um, the headquarters moved to what had been a supermarket. And it's not ideal. It's never been ideal for a police headquarters. Uh, I would like to build a police headquarters at some point. It, it re- requires, and I say at some point only because and you might say, well, why, why not you hurry up and do it? Well, uh, they're really expensive. So for city Police headquarters of cities of our size in the Northeast. You're talking, I would just very conservatively of about seventy-five million dollars. Probably, probably a lot more. They're probably well over a hundred million dollars now. And there's no state program to reimburse us as the, to, for those costs as there is for school building costs. So, I, but I do think the city has to has to get to the point of having a police headquarters. The the place that is, and I'm not saying I'm wedded to this site, but um, there is a compelling case for it, and it's one that's been made uh, been made for the last 20 years, and that's right on Cogswell Street, right at the end of the highway part of Route 18. So, um, and that, because that's closer to the geographic center of the city, but it's also, um, you know, a real uh, advantageous deployment point north and south uh, um, of the city and plus it's right there in the near north end where which is obviously a heavily pop densely populated part of the city um, that we'd have to pay a lot of attention to so uh, there's good reasons for that and it's also city-owned land so that's but it's it's going to require some planning uh, and that's uh, so we want to we're going to start in on that but figuring out how to pay for it is, is another matter. I mean, if we want to go way, way back, maybe the caller meant the Jimmy Evans Flyer Diner downtown. Uh, do we know what's going on with the, the downtown station that was that was closed down? Yeah, it's going to become a municipal building. So, and that's that's still in the works? Yeah, there's renovations being done in there now. So, do you have an idea of how long it'll be before people are moving in there and utilizing those that space? I think before the end of the calendar year, yeah. 
Yeah. And and it's one, a good, it's a good building for that. Yeah. One other question that the uh, I'm just trying to think of all the diners. That's all. One other question that the caller I had. Think you have lunch on your mind. It's not, it's, it's really starting I mean, to sound that way. Come too. on, have you listened to the show before? <laughs> uh, building 19 space. Do we? Are there any updates on what's going on there? You know, not a lot. I've been a little disappointed in that that the work there. Look, it's it's owned by a. A developer named Andrew Bishens, and Andrew is the son of somebody that I think, uh, of Paul Bishens. I think a lot of people knew Paul Bishens and his father, Harold Bishens, had been very active businessmen in the area for a long, long time. Paul died a few years ago suddenly of a heart attack. Um, great guy, very just, you know, uh, very pro New Bedford, and his father was very, very involved in the city going back to like the 40s or so his father just died recently it's just they may have been just just under 100 years old down in florida harold missions so i say all that by way background andrew inherited the, uh, the billy 19 property he, as you know he knocked down the former factory that was there and the former store and it's been used for a variety of purposes it's about 14 acres it's got rail a rail connection that's right between the two highway exits along Hathaway Road and Mount Pleasant Street, so it's well situated. Um, and we have certainly been encouraging him to uh, develop it, but at the end of the day, it is privately owned property. It's his property to decide whether to develop or not develop, and if it, if so, to develop how to do it. And so we'd like certainly like to see something there. There have been there have been. Um, inquiries over the years for both retail uses as well as manufacturing uses, but I, I certainly want to see it see it uh, see it happen. I mean, it's not a similar it's not dissimilar from the situation at Kings Highway. The Kings Highway Plaza, right? The whole thing is owned by two national real estate investment trusts, and they have no connection to New Bedford at all, and they just sit in a investment portfolio. And as much as, believe me, we, we go to real estate development conferences, we, we meet with people who are, represent those real estate investment trusts, we push them, hey, look, can you, can you start to do something with this property? And they, they, they've determined that at the end of the day, it's their call, no matter what we do. The reconfiguration of Kings Highway itself and the off-ramp right on 140 is something that we we designed specifically to facilitate development there. Ultimately, when it's developed, you should be able to shoot right off the highway, right into the plaza. But um, at the end of the day, it's their call. And I think what they're doing is I think they're just sitting on the property because it's going up in value. And they figure, well, why should we be in any rush to, to develop it? We can flip it at some point. So it's not great. All we can do, so when we have private investors who are sitting on property like that, all the city can do is um, is – Pressure, pressure them by persuasion. Uh, we have to make sure they're complying with the city code. So if they're neglecting the property, they're going to get fined, and we do that. But, um, yeah, I'm as frustrated as everybody else. I'd like to see those properties um, more gainfully used. But we, the, the private sector doesn't necessarily agree with, with government and, and the people all the time. Well, why don't we take our first break? Uh, there's a call coming in, so caller, hang on. We'll get to you when we come back. We will take our first break of the hour. We'll be back with Mayor Mitchell in just a few moments. 
And welcome back. It is midweek with the mayor, New Bedford Mayor John Mitchell here with us. And uh, we do have a, a call on the line so we can see what their question may be. If you want to call in, 508-996-0500. You can also send us app chat messages on the WBSM app. We'll try and work our way into those as well as we go along. But right now, let's take this call. Good morning. You are on with Mayor Mitchell. Hello. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Mayor Mitchell. Good morning, Catherine. Uh, Catherine, I thought that was you. Yes, I'm on a different phone. Oh, Thanks for recognizing I thought you were, my voice. I thought you were disguising your voice for a moment there. Yeah, no, it's a, I'm in the car. But okay. No, no, I, I, right. I don't think I have to do that yet anyway. No, no, uh, no, no. All right, keep your eyes on the road. Hands at yes. 10 and 2, right? Now, I missed what you were just talking about, so I'm probably going to bring up something different, and I'm sorry for cutting in, but... Just don't ask me to repeat it. Okay. All right. I won't. Um... I heard that the Whaling Museum was working to get the archives from the jail. And if that's so, I'm wondering why our New Bedford Public Library wouldn't have have it put in their archives or even um, the New Bedford Historical Society. Nothing against the Whaling Museum. It just doesn't seem like the right place for it. And... These are, I guess, would be public documents. I, I realize it's the county, but we don't have a county historical society as far as I know. Right. So I'm wondering what you think or know about that. Uh, we would be, uh, I think, the library system. I don't want to speak, you know, out of turn, um, or I don't want to speak for the library board of trustees, um, although I do appoint them. Um, it, uh, but we would, I think they'd be happy to take that on. The Whaling Museum raised its hand first, and that's fine. The, the uh, Whaling Museum has uh, ample archiving capacity, uh, knows how to preserve documents and store them and all that. So I think it's, I think it's fine. I, I get what you're saying. Like, what are those jail um, records have anything to do with whaling? But the Whaling Museum, the, the thing I would just point out is that the organization that has uh, run the Whaling Museum since its exception is the Old Dartmouth Historical Society. Its mission isn't limited to whaling. So they do take on some stuff that doesn't have to do with whaling. So if, and if you go through the Whaling Museum today, you do see some exhibitry that doesn't have anything to do with whaling. Like there's a huge textile exhibit in the, in the museum, as, uh, among other things. But, you know, it's primarily yeah. about whaling, but not, not exclusively. Yeah. Um, would it be, I mean, and my concern about that would be, uh, would it be, would, would people have free access? That is, they, would they not have to pay in order to look at the archives by appointment? Yeah, I think it's a good, I think that's a good question. And I think that's something to ask the, the Whaling Museum. I, I think you want to have some. Yeah, I think that's – and look, the, the access would be controlled no matter what, even if it's – even if they're stored. The archives at the library are not, like, open like the book stacks are. It's the, No, no. You need but an appointment and all that. You don't have to pay, you know. I, I can yeah. tell you, Catherine, from my own experience, I've done a lot of historical research for the television work that I've done, and everybody has always – I've never had to pay. 
Uh, sometimes I've had to have the the person handling the documents and, you know, then I can take my notes. Uh, sometimes I've had them offer to make photocopies for me and say, you know, you don't need to come in and look at them. We'll give you a digital copy of it. So uh, I've never run into a situation where somebody's, you know, charged me for access to it. But you're right. I, I've, you know, I've had to make appointments for it. Yeah. Well, that, that makes sense. All right. Okay. Well, thank you yeah. for the call. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Speaking of uh, historical moments and, and remembrances, uh, the, the Holocaust Memorial observance. And, you know, I don't know that people know enough about the fact that there is a Holocaust Memorial in the city. Um, well, I, you're probably right. We, we, we talk so much about some of these anti-Semitic things that have been going on. And I tell people all the time a good place to go and reflect is that Holocaust Memorial. Right. So it's a monument inspired by... Abe Landau, who was a Holocaust survivor, I believe Auschwitz, um, who immigrated um, after the war to New Bedford, and I think a lot of people remember him. Um, and uh, it's it's a really terrific uh, monument right right there in Rockdale Avenue. And yeah, I think you know we had our annual Holocaust memorial. Um, observance on on monday and uh you know the turnouts usually um yeah i well it's, there were there were 30 or 40 people there it's always good to see people turning out people we we have you know we have a challenge in the city generally for people when it comes to people turning out for public events and we certainly want to get people to shake off whatever you know reluctance they have pandemic or otherwise to come on out to stuff but it's always very really important to uh to to do those uh, remembrances um and it's especially important these days i mean we do um i think we all should be alarmed at the rise of um of anti-semitism including here in the united states which is just astonishing uh to me uh here we are in 2023 and um you know we've seen folks really start to speak up about that probably most prominently is the New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, who started a, a foundation, um, who's I think it's called Stop Jewish Hate, uh, or at least that's the tagline. Um, but I, I think that it's something we have to pay attention to, and it's not woke, it's not PC, it's not none of that stuff. And I, and uh, just it's every if every American should be taking it, uh, taking it very seriously, and that's. Um, you know, for me, I mean, I go to those events every year and, you know, it's funny. It's like I have like a lot, I have a lot of recurring events every year and that's one of the ones that, uh, I always probably, probably more than all the other ones. I, I, I have this pit in my stomach every year cause you know, I try to, when I have a recurring event, I try to say something a little bit different. It's not to say that people remember. There are lots of events that people just forget what I said the last year before. It's like, it's like, but uh, for that one, I try to uh, I try to say something a little bit different, and it's and it's hard or offer some kind of insight, right? And like everything is, that that can humanly be said about the Holocaust has probably been said um, far better than I ever could. But I and I always have this pit in my stomach until I get up. Because uh, I just feel like I'm just letting people down if I don't say something, something better or more insightful, and um, and then it just I, I just feel comfortable just recognizing that like showing up is what matters the most. 
you know, even if what I have to say is not all that articulate or eloquent or whatever, it's that's not really the bar. The bar is actually showing up and acting and just, you know, following through on what you say. It always stuck with me. I just, you know, I, um, it, it just, it's, it's, it just astonishes me that we we're still talking about this now and we must. And so we do, but you know, one of the things I sh- I've shared a number of times at the, at the event is just, you know, my own, you know, very attenuated family connection to it. Um, and it's, and I tell the story of my, um, you know, my grandfather who, you know, my grandfather, and this is what people know about my grandfather, the, the, the fisherman on my father's side, but my, my grandfather, my, my mother's side, John Kinney, who a lot of people know because he was active in city politics for a long time. You know, he grew up in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood and like around like Reynolds Street and Myrtle Street, Clark Street, that, that general area over there. And, um, you know, he was, um, during the war, he was a young artillery officer and was uh, his, his artillery battalion uh, supported the 20th Armored Division, which sort of cut right through in the you know, the last couple of months of war through the Rhineland and into central Germany. And his battalion was one of the the um, the units credited with with liberating Dachau. And the only time. You know, my grandfather was not a, you know, not a pushover. His own father had died. His own father was a New Bedford cop who had uh, died as a result of the pulling bodies out of, um, he caught the Spanish flu because he was, he was pulling the remains of the, the dead out of tenements. And, uh, and so he, my, my grandfather grew up in, for a while in St. Mary's home. And so it was just not somebody who complained or anything. But the only time I saw him get emotional was when, um, he talked about walking into Dachau, walking into the camp and seeing what he saw there and how much that stuck with him. And just the scenes of bodies being bulldozed into pits and just uh, the suffering that was there that just couldn't, that language can't really do justice to. And that always, you know, as, as time passes, as there are fewer and fewer survivors to um, to speak to their um, what they what they witnessed uh, there. It's important that we continue to tell those kinds of stories, even if they're attenuated, even if you know, um, because it's just um, you know, to my mind, we we risk losing something as a society, we sort of risk losing something about ourselves if we don't recognize that as you know, as Americans, we hold ourselves, I think, correctly to appropriately to a higher standard. Um, and I do believe, you know, in American exceptionalism, not in the, in the sense that we're a chosen people, but we're just a society that is, you know, founded on ideals and not on tribe. Um, but that, and we appropriately hold ourselves to, you know, to higher, to higher ideals and higher standards. And I think just if, uh, even if out of a sense of patriotism, this, these are things that we have to grapple with and set a, an example for the rest of the world. And, and New Bedford does have a Jewish community that's been very integral to the city's history. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just, and, uh, you know, the, the, and I think it's, it's, it's not, so the, the Jewish community in New Bedford has been an enormously, um, 
consequential, enormously beneficial. And I think a lot of folks, as time passes, it's it's harder to recognize the Jewish population in the city has declined. It's declined in America is a share of the U.S. population. It's remained relatively flat um, over time, but it is far more heavily concentrated in the major metros than it ever was. It, in Bedford, in particular, the West End has a, had a very large and thriving Jewish community and had lots of folks who are, you know, went on to enormous success. I mean, just think of not just Erwin Jacobs, but the owner of the Golden State Warriors, the founders of Bed Bath and beyond. There's a long list of just enormously successful Alpert's Furniture, my friend Herschel Alpert. Um, lots of lots of uh, success, but a whole lot of philanthropy here, a whole lot of giving back, a whole lot of leadership, and um, and I, you know that's something we don't want to lose sight of as well. They continue to contribute in big in big ways, and um, so I think it's just it's I feel moved to say, to talk about all this stuff because you do see it does you look at what's happening, and not so much in the northeast but on large swaths of the united states where people are uh the, the civic discourse is really losing its way and it's stuff we do need to be talking about this stuff and again i emphasize I and mean, people will listen to me over the years and know that i'm not you know i'm not knee-jerk politically correct or knee-jerk woke or any of that stuff right it's it's uh you know, this is, I think people, there's, there's, there's a certain level of common sense and decency that has to be, it has to be insisted upon. And when we, uh, talk about these kinds of matters. And we still see it, you know, it may be happening, you know, thankfully not in New Bedford, but certainly in some of the surrounding communities, you see desecration of gravestones with swastikas painted on them and, and, uh, anti-Jewish imagery. And people say, well, these are just dumb kids. They don't really believe it. And I would almost argue that's, that's worse because it's made that just kind of okay to be something that you put out to be edgy. That's worse than actually somebody believing in it because that makes that hatred so casual that it never goes away. Yeah, you got to call it out. And, um, and, and yeah, but by calling it out, there's a feeling of like, well, if you call it out, there's a delicate dance, right? So by calling it out, you actually sort of in some ways feed, you actually validate the folks who are trying to get attention, right? You, they've gotten the attention they were looking for. Um, but at the same time, if there's a, it's, it's really just an exercise in line drawing. We're not going to put up with this, right? This kind of stuff. So, um, it's important, it's important for public officials to be, to be doing that. Now, why don't we take this one call here before we go into our next break? Uh, 508-996-0500. If you have a question for Mayor Mitchell, good morning. You were on with the mayor. Yes. Hi, ma'am. Mitchell, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. You should know who I am. Um, I was the one who talked about the uh, the other 19 and the other one, the police station. But I was going to ask you, what are they going to do with the big fire they had on Ashley Boulevard, the both of them? Well, if, you, if you're referring to the one that just happened at yes. the Royal Crown Apartment Building, yeah, that building is beyond rehabilitation. Um, and that's going to have to come down. Is that going to be rebuilt over again or are they going to make something new there? Uh, it's way, way too early to tell. I mean, we do have a problem on the avenue now with you know we've had a couple of these fires that have required demolitions to think about the restoration of the street edge um you know that's that's a longer conversation and it's those properties are not highly marketable right so it's going to require in the long run the city getting involved and supporting including probably with direct financial support some kind of rebuilding of 
you know, the edge of the street there. It also is going to require some zoning changes, which might take some time. Um, you've seen over the years, there have been demolitions along the avenue and, um, you know, there's stuff has gone in its place and all, what's been put in its place hasn't exactly added to the neighborhood, right? Um, like CVS and, and, uh, Rite Aid have gone in and, you know, those, those, that's not to say they shouldn't be there. It's, they're, great to be there great businesses to be there but they're not they're they're they the buildings the buildings are in a, in a in a form that doesn't add to the 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 you know sort of enclosed feel that you want in a you know traditional shopping district like a cushion and avenue so there's a lot a lot to unpack there it's going to take some time for us to address that but that building yeah, is going to have to come down i got one quick question for you can they put like a, um, a shelter there for all homeless? Well, so in that spot, there's a lot of stuff that can go there. Obviously, if it's if a shelter is something that uh, the neighborhood wants, I mean, the neighborhood's going to have a say over uh, whatever is put uh, there. So uh, there's a there's a whole lot of work, and it's not going to happen overnight about how to sort of fill in some of the so-called missing teeth along the avenue, and it's going to require a lot of input from from the neighborhood um and it's going to require probably some direct city uh investment as as well and some zoning changes but that's that's going to take some time all right thank you for the call we got to take our break when we come back more with mayor mitchell and more with you 508-996-0500 all right welcome back and back with mayor mitchell 508-996-0500 if you have any questions uh, that you want to ask him so we were concerned about the bus to Boston stopping service, uh, but now Peter Pan has stepped up and is going to be offering that route. Peter Pan is not again not the Disney character. He's not coming. <laughs> it's uh, it's the bus service. Yeah, they once did it. Peter Pan used to have a, a bus route here years ago, um, and no, I'm grateful that they they were willing uh, to do it. They they think they can make it profit. They can do it profitably. And, you know, my point is, and it may not be as many runs, um, but at least it's something. And what we need to do is uh, what the the goal here is to get us to the point where uh, uh, train service begins, which will be later this calendar year. That's when it's scheduled. So um, so that's uh, so look, it's it's good. And uh, I'm glad it worked out because I wasn't sure that it was going to work out month ago we had gotten such late notice from datco that they were going to stop um and again with datco it's look they they're a for-profit company they can choose not to provide a service it's just they're providing a service that is a public good they're in the and uh i think they owed people a longer heads up than they what they gave and so now i'm, I'm glad peter pan's doing it and i hope the service works well we'll, we'll uh, you know if people want to provide feedback on the quality of service just you know let us know how it's going and and peter pan might benefit from this even more because they might have people that start utilizing the train and then they're like wait a minute there's a bus i could take instead so that might actually help bolster some of their service as well it might yeah we'll see how it plays out all right we have some calls okay. here coming in oh hold on let me make sure i take that off so i don't hang up on anybody uh good morning you were on with mayor mitchell hello oh sorry my fault i had you down now you're on the air Yes, hi. Um, I'd like to ask the mayor uh, respectfully. Uh, I know Tottenham Fall River. 
I don't know, this year debating whether they're going to push the celebration of July 4th back again into September. But um, the thing is, is that COVID's been over for quite some time. I don't see Antifa or any other uh, agitation groups happening. So are we going to have a traditional celebration planned in New Bedford? I am a Taunton resident, but my brother and two sisters have been in um, New Bedford um, taxpaying since 1973. This is their 50th year as residents of New Bedford. I'll tell you what. So we're having fireworks on July 4th. You come down here to New Bedford, spend a lot of money in our restaurants, tell all your friends in Taunton just how great a time you had, and uh, invite them down as well. All right. Thank you for the call. I'm going to just move on because we've got some other callers. But, yeah, there's, I mean, we've had the 4th of July celebration already since COVID, so there's no need to to, yeah. to move it around. Yeah. Now, you know, in some places like, like in Wareham, they move the onset fireworks from July 4th to September so that they could tie it into another festival that they have going on. So they realized that they, they couldn't really afford two fireworks shows, so they moved it. Um, they said there's so many fireworks other places like New Bedford that they didn't need to do it. I, I, our event is the central event in southeastern Mass. So that's and so that's yeah. That's you, of course, you're going to keep yours on yeah. the on the holiday, and other places can move theirs around. They're yeah. like, oh, why would we have them the same day as New Bedford? Theirs are going to be better. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. You're next with the mayor. Hello. Oh, sorry. Now you're on the air. Am I on the air? You are. Okay. Hi. Um, I just have a question about the the roads in New Bedford are horrible. And when when are we going to get new roads? Because I mean, taxes taxes are up, and doesn't seem like our tax money is doing much of anything. Every street I go down is like potholes and bumps, and I think the infrastructure really needs some help here in the city. Right. So, um, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the show over the years, and you know, the what we've been dealing, and I, I don't, I don't. I don't disagree that the that the roads in the city need improvement, and I, in fact, I've made it a priority to do that. And you know, when I got into office, you know, the roads really there hadn't been a consistent uh, there hadn't been a road improvement program funded by the city, and that's the problem. And we've had we relied the city relied on its, its allotment of state transportation aid. Uh, which is called chapter, chapter 78 loosely, and the city's gotten a couple million dollars a year to do that. It wasn't enough, and that's remained flat. So we decided pretty early on that we're going to have our own program, and we've done that, and we've increased the funding. It's been up to $3 million now annually. That's what we're going to be proposing again this year. And so uh, it's a slow process. Those roads uh, are meant to last a long time. And the reality is the city has not consistently invested in them until I got into office. And that's so it's it may look like it's something that just materialized recently. But those are problems that have festered for decades. And and now we're dealing with it. And so it's going to take a little bit of time for folks to see the result. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of roads in the city to cover. They're working on it and they'll yeah. get to yours eventually. I think people are seeing it, but the feedback I get is, yeah, it's not lost on me and we've talked about it a ton on this program, but I know the feedback we're also getting is, okay, we're starting to see the improvement. It's starting to happen. And so we want to continue that and it'll take a little while, but you know, we're, we're, we're definitely working on it. All right. Thank you for the call. Let's uh, get another one here in before we have to take a break. You are next with Mayor Mitchell. Hello. Hi, you're on the air. 
Hello. Hi, you're on the you're on with the mayor. Hi, Mr. Mayor. Uh, Tom. Hey, Tom. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, question. Thank you. CDC just uh, recommended that people over the age of 65, which I'm a part of, uh, get another booster if you're beyond a certain amount of months. Is uh, Seven Hills Behavioral going to be doing that again, or are we on our own for that? Yeah, let me check in. I, I think so, Tom. Um, they've continued to, to, to help. Um, let me, you know, it's been a little while since we talked about um, vaccines. I know we've put some information out. Let me let me circle back about that. I don't want to give uh, give out information that's not 100% accurate. So let's, uh, sure. but I, but okay. I, but I, it's it's an important point. People are still getting COVID. I mean, we still have some people in St. Luke's who are, uh, are very sick from it. And, you know, they're almost invariably people who have, have underlying health issues uh, or are elderly or, or both. But it's good just to stay on top of that. So I, I appreciate you bringing it up because it's been a little while since we've talked about that specifically but I, I want to make sure everyone has the has the information they need so thank you thank you thanks for the call and uh callers hang on we will try to get to you i do have to take one final break we'll be back in just a few moments all right welcome back uh we are finishing up with mayor mitchell uh, we do have a, a phone call on the line here that we can we can squeeze in let's go to that good morning you were on with mayor mitchell yeah hi hi uh Mr. Mayor, uh, keep up the good work, by the way. Um, but I'm I'm asking, have you heard, you know, the offshore wind farm that we're having? Yep. The Pentagon is saying it may threaten military readiness and national security. Uh, could um, they're, they're saying that offshore wind could be jamming maritime um, radar. Have you heard of that? No. Heard of it a few no. times. So with all the... so. So when the areas that are set up um, for offshore wind, the, the, the when the government, when the federal government sets up these areas for, for offshore wind projects, they start off with an area of ocean and then they ask everybody to comment. So first off, it's fishermen, it's um, you know, some of the environmental groups, uh, and they ask, among, among others, they ask the Department of Defense, is this going to be a problem for you? Um, you know, ship, uh, what, they are shipping companies. This is going to be in a shipping lane. So, um, the, the one area, so there, the, the areas, there are certain areas that have, when they, when they first pro, were first proposed, had to be cut back. There are some areas that had to be cut back because of concerns. In particular, in the area in the New York Bight, which is that area of ocean, that triangular-shaped area of ocean near New York that runs along New Jersey and mm-hmm. Long Island, there was an area along New Jersey that the Navy said, you know, we do training exercises there, you know, aviators go in that general area, um, and so you, we, we can't you can't do offshore wind farms there. There are some other areas, like as you go down the Atlantic, um, that were uh, other. But um, other areas had to be trimmed back for similar reasons. But I think that those things are all, it's all one federal government. And, they, and I think the DOD concerns do end up controlling um, when uh, when there really really is a conflict. All right. Thank you for the call. And, thank you. Uh, and we are just about out of time for today. But in the final few moments, we've got 
We've got opening day for the Bay State Girls Softball League, right? We yeah. got all that. It's yep. season, great, great season's league. coming it's, up. Yeah, the seasons are coming up, you know, Little League. So go out and support the kids. It's great stuff. I want to thank all the parents out there who sign their kids up and especially the coaches and volunteers who make it happen. Uh, nice work. Look forward to seeing you out there this summer. Absolutely. The, the softball and baseball leagues in the city are fantastic. I spent years covering them and I can tell you they are they are among some of the elite and fun, fun to go out and watch except for the time I got beamed in the head. Alright, that'll do it for this week's edition of Midweek with the Mayor. We'll be back next week with it. I'll be back tomorrow. Barry's coming up after Bill O'Reilly. Enjoy every sandwich. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.